Well, please turn with me, if you will, to the Epistle of James, chapter 1. James chapter 1, familiar passage, and look down there with me to verses 22 through 25. James writes, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, He's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed." Well, thank the Lord for Holy Scripture. This morning I want to think with you about the way in which we hear the Word of the Lord. So, how it is that we hear the Word of God, and how it is that we should hear the Word of God. You know that Paul teaches that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So, listen, it's... It's the only way that we can have saving faith is by truly hearing. Do you understand? It's only if we truly hear that we'll have saving faith because faith cometh by hearing. And Paul teaches that true hearing happens only by the Word of God. You know, as when Jesus touches the deaf ear and says, be opened. It's a creatorial act. It's hearing where no hearing was before. It's the Word of God. The same Word by which He speaks creation into existence. If we truly hear, it's because of the Word of God. And we'll only have faith if we truly hear. So, you understand that hearing the Word of the Lord is important. Very, very important. And listen, hearing the Word is impossible for the natural man. Most important, but impossible for the natural man. So, keeping in mind that passage that we just read in James, I want you to think with me for a minute. Do you remember that phrase that the Savior uses over and over and over again in the New Testament? He says, him who has ears to hear, what? Let him hear. hear. I want to posit a meaning for Christ's statement, and then I want to use that as a touchstone for looking at James' instruction. Do you recall what a touchstone was or is? Exactly. Exactly right. It was generally a fine-grained dark stone, often a jasper in history. And they would use that stone to test the purity of gold. They would strike the gold against the touchstone and, or silver. 
and by the color of the streak that it made on the touchstone, they would evaluate the purity of the gold. So the touchstone rubbed with the gold or the silver would give an idea of the purity of the precious metal. So think for a minute about Christ's statement, him that hath ears to hear, let him hear, as a touchstone. And I want you to see that Jesus' command, him who hath ears to hear, let him hear. It's a general command. Listen, it's a general command, but it can only be specifically obeyed. Do you see that? It's a general command that can only be specifically obeyed. You see, Christ commands here, here, and then he immediately qualifies that command by saying, if you have ears, then hear. It's an if-then. It's an if-then statement, if you formulate it that way. It's a qualified command. Jesus is saying, there's something I'm commanding you to do, if you can. Hear. Hear, if you can. Now, as believers and champions of the absolute sovereignty of God, the doctrine of the absolute sovereignty of God in all things, we Christians magnify the grace of God in salvation. Don't we? We do. We confess with the wise man, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, Jehovah hath made even both of them. Proverbs twenty twelve. So we exalt and honor our God, and we acknowledge that if a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl can truly hear the word of the Lord, it's because God Almighty has given that person ears to hear. Do you believe that? I do. I do. It's because God has opened blind eyes. God has opened deaf ears. It's God that gives resurrection life to dead sinners so that dead sin-blinded eyes can see and dead sin-deafened ears can hear. Salvation is of the Lord. So no, no dispute and no denigration of doctrine. But are you able to hold two truths in tension? You better be able to, Christian. Were it not for the Lord, listen, you would never even want to see or hear or listen. A lot of your countrymen that are running up and down the road and they're not here or in any other Christian house of worship today, do you think they're all fabulously unhappy? Oh, they don't care. They they don't want to be here. Why do you care? Why are you even interested? It's of the Lord. If it were not for a divine initiative of rescue friend, you wouldn't even care. You'd stumble straight toward hell, enjoying yourself as you went. But think back to Christ's command. Him who has ears to hear, let him hear. The hearing ear that God makes is only one component in that command. Did did you hear that? Did you see that? 
We've acknowledged that the supernatural ability to hear, to truly hear the Word of God is a divine and sovereignly bestowed blessing, a blessing that God grants to His children. But Christ also says, let him hear. Let him hear. Let him hear. Let him hear. So the command of Christ not only, listen, it not only confirms the sovereign bestowal of the grace of hearing the word of the Lord, it also commands the child of God, so blessed, so blessed with a hearing ear, to use that ear to hear the word of the Lord. Some of you have met my earthly father. And he's a man who's been greatly blessed of God with wisdom. He's also a man of great intellect. And as long as I've known him, he's been one who's actively pursued knowledge and learning. He enjoys it. He's been a great, great example to me. And I heard a story about a time when he was a boy and an elementary school teacher spoke to his mother and said, compared to him, compared to Roy, she said, a lot of these other students are just asleep with their eyes open. That's the story I heard. Is that possible? Can someone be asleep with their eyes open? Roy said sharks can, but I don't know about people. Well, some of you have been teachers. And if you've been a teacher for any length of time, I think you know exactly what that teacher meant. She meant that some of those students, if you could call them that, some of those pupils were present Their bodies were sitting before her in a desk chair, but they weren't learning. They weren't listening. They weren't focused. They weren't hearing. They were asleep with their eyes open. And so think with me. In light of these things, I submit to you this morning that Christ's command, him that hath ears to hear, let him hear, I submit to you that that command has inbuilt implications. What I'm saying is this. Christ's command to hear is only possible for the one whom God has enabled to hear. But, but, it's possible even for one whom God has enabled to hear to fall short of rightly hearing. And hence, Christ commands us, if you've got ears to hear, hear. Right? Now, with that explication of Christ's command to hear being our touchstone, let's look back to James chapter 1. There in verse 22, James exhorts, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. 
James, the bishop of the Jerusalem church, and here he's writing to believers clearly. And so he clearly presupposes that they have hearing ears. You understand? He presupposes that. James presupposes that they have hearing ears. He's writing his letters, his letter to Christians. So he knows they're the enlightened ones. They're the ones who have had their ears and their eyes opened by the sovereign power of God. And presupposing that they have ears to hear, James then commands them not to be hearers only, but also to be doers of the Word. You see, listen, it's very important to understand the implications here. And I I submit to you this implication. Listen, James is saying it's possible for one whom God has given a hearing ear to hear the Word of God in such a way that he or she does not obey that Word. Let me say that again. Listen, he's saying that it's possible for someone whom God has opened the ear of, someone whom God has given a hearing ear, it's possible for them to hear the word and not do it. To hear it and not obey it. And brothers and sisters, listen, I'm not going to attempt to reconcile that implication with the absolute sovereignty of God this morning. I'm not sure I'm qualified, but I can hold more than one idea in my mind at the same time. That's not the project for today. But I do want you to understand that if I've read the Scripture rightly, listen, there's a danger for you and for me, even if we have ears to hear. There's a danger that we'll be just, as it were, asleep with our eyes open. That's the danger. There's a danger that when the Word of God is proclaimed that we'll be an active listener, but we'll not be a doer. Only a hearer. And the danger is, the danger is the one that truly hears but does not do. That one, in the terminology of Holy Scripture, is one who treasures up wrath. Wrath that might flame out against him. Now, you're probably thinking, how in the world could that happen? How in the world could this happen? How could one be a true hearer, a true hearer, but not a doer? Well, look right there. James explains it. Look there to verses 23 through 25 of chapter 1. I'm going to read from the New International Version. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, He'll be blessed in what he does. Well, I asked the question, how could this possibly happen? How could one be a true hearer but not a doer? And did you see that James gives the answer right there? 
it could happen if he forgets. It could happen if he's forgetful. It could happen to us if we are forgetful. Listen, it does happen when we're forgetful. That's how it happens. It happens when we forget who and what manner of people we are, as he says. Straightway beholdeth his face in the glass, beholdeth himself, and goeth away, and straightway or immediately forgetteth what manner of man he is. That's when it happens. When he forgets what kind of a man, when she forgets what kind of a woman she is. Now that immediately raises another question, doesn't it? What manner of people are we? So that we don't forget that. Because if I, if I connected the dots right and asked the question, how did this happen? It happened because they forgot something. What did he forget? He forgot what kind of man he was. Well, what kind of man was he? What did he forget? What manner of people are we? Well, like it or not, you, you're a lot like me. You might not like that, but, but you are. And I don't want to be schizophrenic, but to answer that question, what manner of people are we? Let me tell you about me. And remember I said you are a lot like me, but let me tell you about me. Because I know about me way more than I know about you. By nature, that is by fallen nature, by nature, I'm a child of wrath. That's what I am. And I have found that within me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Just talking about me. Keeping you out of this for right now. And I must agree with my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because I've found it to be experientially true that out of my own heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetous, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, All these evil things come from within and defile me. Mark 7, 21 through 22, 3. Just talking about me. I'm keeping you out of this for now. And I found that even when I want to do good, I often do wrong. And when that happens, I'm so conflicted and filled with self-loathing I could sometimes classify myself as wretched. Remember, remember, just not talking about you right now. This about me. I found that I am an expert in rationalization. I found that when someone else does something wrong, it is despicable. But I found that when I do wrong, there's usually a good and sufficient reason for it.
Now, that little recitation might make me sound like a rather bad fellow. And I could say, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. But listen, I'm actually much, much, much more than that. Let me tell you what else I am. I'm part of a chosen generation. And you might not be able to tell it, but listen, I'm royalty. Really? My father is the king of kings. And though I might just sound to you like a country boy from Louisiana, that's not my true nationality. I'm part of a holy nation. And listen, not only that, I'm a priest. And I'm not just a common priest. I'm part of a special royal order of priests. And my fellow priests and priestesses, we serve under a high priest of the Melchizedekian order. And listen, I'm not only a priest for myself and for my family. In my priestly office, I have interceded for countless others. So many I can't even remember them all. I've interceded for kings and presidents and even nations. I have. Bill, I'm actually a pretty big deal. Oh, and I neglected to mention that my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Actually, as a matter of fact, my father owns all the cattle on every hill and every other animal. My father is greater than all. And not only this, but listen, my father has called the things that are not as though they were. And by the power of His Word, He has brought marvelous things to pass. And my Father has declared that I am righteous. You've got a problem with that? When somebody wants to argue about it, He has said that He Himself has justified me by the blood of His own Son and that no one, not anybody, can lay anything to my charge because of what He's done for me. So you probably better watch out how you talk about me. Now friends, listen, I do hope that my description of myself has not confused you. Because I believe that my description is thoroughly scriptural. As a matter of fact, every one of those phrases that I just used were just paraphrases of Holy Scripture. So listen, what's James concerned about here? What's he concerned about? Listen, he's concerned that if we forget who we are, we won't live right. Don't you see it? It's Holy Scripture. It's God's holy book. And it describes to me the nature 
of the fallen man that I am, which I find confirmed within my own being. And don't you see that it's also the authoritative word that faithfully describes me as a new creation in Jesus Christ? One, an authoritative word that tells me what I am in and through my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and he would like nothing more than for me to wallow in despair as I contemplate the wretchedness of fallen humanity. But Christ has liberated me. I'm different now. I'm a new creation. I'm free. And I've got to remember who I am. I've got to remember, listen, I've got to remember what family I represent. I've told this before. Our, when our children were young, they didn't do a whole lot of sleepovers at, at a little friend's house. We just didn't do it very much. But sometimes we did. And sometimes I did when I was a little boy. And so my kids heard this because I had heard it. Well, my mother would drop me off and I was going to spend the night at my little friend's house, she'd say, Remember who you are. You see, you're representing the family. You say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, thank you. And when you come pick me up, they would say, oh, he was a joy to have. Remember who you are. That was the message. We've got to remember what family we represent. And friend, listen, listen. I'm a son of Adam. No doubt, I am. But much, much greater than that, by God's grace, I'm a son of God. And I represent the family of God. Now, where did you get all this, Edward? Well, I got it from what James calls the perfect law of liberty. That is, I believe, the Holy Scriptures. So let's review for a minute. Beloved, listen, if we are not constantly looking into the perfect law of liberty, the Holy Scriptures, if we're not constantly looking into the Holy Scriptures like a man looking in a mirror, we might forget who we are. Listen, I just told you I'm royalty, I'm a priest. I can tell you that sometimes I don't feel like that. Do you? Well, Christian, be reminded of what you are, of what we are. If we're not constantly looking into the Holy Scriptures, we might forget what God says about us. And listen, what God says we are, that's what we are. And if we forget who we are, we could become unbalanced. We might writhe in condemnation. Or we might exult in false piety. But James teaches that all of this can be cured. All of it can be cured when we regularly and systematically look into the law of liberty which reminds us of exactly what and who we are 
regardless of our momentary flights of feeling and fancy. It's difficult, Bill, sometimes. I don't have to do a lot of counseling, but I can tell you that most of the time when I've talked to a Christian who wants to talk to me and they're not feeling well, I can't really deal with that. I can just remind them of what God says. And you've got to get your feelings in line with what God says. You've got to look at the perfect law of liberty and see what God says about it and submit your feelings to that. That's, that's kind of, that's not very touchy-feely. But it's pretty much all I, all I got. What God says we are, that's what we are, friend. That's what we are. So listen, take home message. Don't be forgetful. Don't forget who you are. Don't sleep with your eyes open. Let's look into the perfect law of liberty and believe what God says about us. And when we do that, listen, when we do that, we will not be forgetful hearers. When we do that, we'll remember who we are and we'll be doers of the word. We'll honor our Father. Well, that's all I got. We can visit for a minute or we can just dismiss and fellowship. Brother Bill. um, When presidents are leaving office, they all often pardon a bunch of people. I don't know if you've ever followed this. And if you ever look up the people that that are on the pardon list, you're like, he pardoned him? Her? (laughs) You you wonder, you know. But if the prosecutor still was trying to bring a case against them, they would tell them, why do you keep bringing this case? The guy's been pardoned. It's over. Don't bring, don't try to keep bringing it. Amen. And that's not exactly it in in God, but the the deceiver wants to put up our case on the docket. And God is saying, you can't even bring a charge against them. They've been pardoned. Amen. Get out of here. It's over. Amen. And and he might say, but look at look at them. Look, they're still doing the thing that you pardoned them for. Like they're pardoned. This case is not going to be heard. It's been decided. That's wonderful news. Amen. Anybody else? When, when you look, yeah. When you look in the world's mirror, you just think, I, "I need some new clothes. I need some more money. I need some more." All the world standards. When you look at what God says about you, yeah, you, it's a, 
you don't, you're looking at the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And take people that look at it and don't do it, don't have it. Mm-hmm. Let's say that we have it perfectly, but there's a big difference between looking into a perfect law of liberty and looking at me. Yeah. And <laughs> that might be a oversight, but I never thought about it like that before. And we are deceived. People do deceive themselves. People think, well, I'm not such a bad guy. I don't do this, do that, and that. And that's kind of a naturalistic reflection. Right. You're looking at yourself, to, but a lot of people do that. So well, I'm a pretty good guy. But you're looking in the wrong place. And that's why people don't. That's why darkness saves life. People don't want to look at anything that would expose their sin. None of us like that. Right. That's why people hate the gospel because it's, I mean, they know, I think deep down, most people, they recognize, they know what's going on, but they don't want to look at it, and that's the reason they fill their lives with everything else. They look at everything else through their prism, through their viewpoint. Well, there's another whole, whole sermon there, Bill, but I've said before, I believe a whole lot of the navel-gazing that I've seen make Christians depressed sometimes is when they just look at themselves. And it's sort of Augustinian. I'm just, woe is me, woe is me. It's the Puritans over overstated, sort of. And that's not looking what God says about you. And I've almost seen what I thought was almost satanic advantage taken of people who just constantly, I'm like, it doesn't really seem like your religion's working for you. In other words, I can tell you what you've got, I don't want that. It's not attractive at all. You're just uh, all the time. Well, God says some bad things about us. But in Jesus... It's all good. God's grace is not a clothesline to hang out your dirty laundry every time you do something. Mm-hmm. Not, you don't leave it up there. He's done it, and it's wrong for people to engage in. It's almost like monks in a monastery. Yeah. Graduation. That's not going to do any good, and that's actually an insult to grace. <clears throat> well, if you if, if you look at the apostolic letters too, where Paul and James and Peter are writing to converts. Sometimes they say, that's wrong. And then what do they say? Just uniformly, stop that and follow Christ. They don't say, stop that. And after an appropriate three months of penance, then that's not what they say. And I'm not saying that they're, they're saying, stop doing wrong and do right. Stop it right now. Change your mind and change your direction. And stop revisioning. Right. And it's the. Well, let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed and we can fellowship. Brother Simpson, would you dismiss us?